Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, if you're a golf fan, it was fun to watch some golf coming down the stretch this weekend. We've got all kinds of stuff lined up for us this week, Dante. Uh, what should we dive into first, man? The Shriners, the recap at the Shriners. What a finish coming down the stretch. They barely got it in. The sunlight was peeking on them. But, uh, man, pump for Martin Laird to get that W. Yeah, I, I think we were half right on the, the predictions. We said 20-plus was going to win. 20-plus Sunder was going to win. It did. Our guy Bryson didn't get it done, though. But He didn't, but he showed signs of just contention. I mean, when you finish in the top 10 at any tournament, you're obviously contending. Um, you know, you said early when he put that 9-under up there, we were kind of joking around. We were like, well, is that 30-under 30, is that 30 under threshold finally going to be broken? Um, he kind of petered out towards the end, I guess you could say, lost his head of steam. Um, but still was fun to watch. I love this golf course. I will double down on the fact that I absolutely love this golf course setup because these guys can go so low. There's so much going on at one point. It makes the golf telecast an absolute pleasure to watch the entire week. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like, like we said uh, before, I mean, we had like Bryson as the pick and his strategy best fit for that course setup and the, I mean, you're in Vegas, you had the high altitude, so the ball's traveling much further, so the yardage is nowhere near the actual yardage on the court of what they're playing. And, you know, his strategy was like, I'm going to hit it as high and as far as possible as I can and get it as close to the green and try and chip and putt. But, I mean, your chipping and putting still has to be on. I mean, just because you can bomb it like 350, 360 – doesn't necessarily mean you're going to you're a lock to win i mean that we kind of went with that strategy a little bit and we were proven wrong i mean you have to get it done 100 yards and in and on a putting green that's how golf is won i mean and you you mentioned this to me halfway through i think the saturday round you said look at the leaderboard Look who's up there. It's not just your bombers. It's your short guys. Austin Cook, who ended up being in that playoff, not a bomber. I mean, Matt Wolf hit three wood by him in the playoff. So obviously not a long ball hitter, but he found a way to get his way up the leaderboard. I mean, it's venues like this that like begs the question, okay, yes, these guys went stupid low. They they obviously were at clo- they were closing in on 24, 25 under. But like, what's wrong with a setup like this when everyone's in contention? When you have a when you have a a, a a course like this that lets everyone have a shot at winning, I don't see the problem with a course setup like this. No, and and I think that's what's so frustrating is when you go back to kind of the distance debate. Is you know they're like, oh well, how do we control the long ball hitters? Let's move the tees back further and further and further. Well, that just makes it a disadvantage for the shorter hitters. I mean, you either hit it short or you hit it long. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can find ways to get speed. I mean, if you don't, then you don't. I mean, that's just, that's kind of up to you and how you want to play your game. And that's what the great, what, how golf is, why it's so great is because you can end up playing your own game and still getting it done. So when it goes back to that, it's like, why not put it on a shorter course? Because who cares if you're, if, if Bryson is not pulling driver on every hole because he's just hits it too far. I mean, now you're, you, I think you need to shorten it down because now you're giving the, um, the shorter hitters an advantage to win and more chance to be in contention, I guess, per se. But now the longer hitters, you're just going to mess with their heads because then they're going to be like, well, what should I hit? Do I want to try, try and go for it? Or do I want to just, you know, play smart, play. The I think the perfect, route. I think the perfect example of it is you, you, you take drivers out of guys' hands because of how short the course is. You saw, you saw Matt Wolf, you saw, well, not really DeChambeau because he's just an erratic idiot with the driver lately because he wants to see how far he can hit it. But you see Matt Wolf taking out three wood way more often than he has in the past six months to play this golf course. It just shows you that these guys don't have to hit driver all the time. And when you start dialing it back and they, I mean, granted, they still carry their three wood 280 or, you know, full three wood is 280 with rollout and everything. But you start to take driver out of these guys' hands and all of a sudden you're not, you're no longer talking about 340. 
you're talking 280 max. And, and that's that, that right off the bat sh- lets these guys play longer shots into these greens. And I think, you know, I think just case in point, it, you can have a short course, force these guys to take driver out of the hands. And then your distance debate is just null and void. Yeah. And, and another thing we were talking about, it's easier to go over trees when you're further away from it. You put yourself closer up next to a tree. Good luck trying to get over it. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you keep putting it back. The guys who bomb at 320, 330 in the air, they're just going to cut corners all day. And now they're going to make a, a 500 yard hole into like the 360. 100%. You know, um, it just it's just frustrates it's, me it's one of those things where i was just at the end of the day i was so happy the entire broadcast from top to bottom was an, an enjoyable watch this weekend um, i couldn't stand the broadcasters i had to watch it on mute um, the amount of times my dad was even saying what the hell are these guys even saying uh, was was far beyond what i could keep track and keep count of um you know, at one point they even mentioned, uh, yeah, Matt Wolf really struggled out there at the U S open. I'm like, Hmm, a T two doesn't really seem like Matt Wolf is struggling. Um, these guys in the announcing booth need to need to sharpen up their, their tools. I think a little bit, they're getting a little dull on their side of the coverage. I think they're just stuck with the fact that they don't know what to say because there's not fans there to kind of, I guess, offset that silence. I I tell you what it is. They're missing Johnny Miller taking up 70% of the coverage. All right. Yeah. He'll just rip in. I mean, you get, that's, that's another thing, man. Just, just that's what announcing is. I mean, Johnny Miller just did not give a rat's ass of what he said. So he just, he just basically spoke his mind. And I think that's what you need. I mean, that's on an entertainment level. That's what you're going to get. Cause anytime Johnny Miller was in the booth, people talked about Johnny Miller in the booth and what he had to say and i mean coming down coming down the stretch when you had martin laird absolutely just choking it away trying his best to choke it away everyone was wishing johnny miller was in the booth just to just to rip him apart like we know he would have yeah i mean and then like we said it before at the end of the day it's it's also an entertainment business so you want to if you want to grow the game you got to make you know the professional level and and an excitement so i mean you got to find ways to mix up the venues all right are some weeks we're going to play at venues where these guys can go ridiculously low because people like to see birdies people like to see hole outs people like to see eagles i mean that's that's excitement and then there's also times where you want to see where guys you know why don't we make them think a little bit more let's like let's see their strategy around a a difficult golf course where they got to move the ball a little bit more okay there's there's trouble in the way or the rough's just ridiculously thick so you have to be absolutely accurate so are they going to pull a driver on every hole or are they going to pull a couple irons just to keep it in play? You have to mix it up. I mean, I think that's, that's what's great about great about golf because it's not like football, basketball, or baseball where they're playing on the same field on a consistent basis on every game, each match that they go into or game per se, they're playing a completely different game because it's a different course setup. But if you continue to, bring these venues where it's just a, I guess, a Bob and gouge mentality. You're kind of steering away how um, and why golf is so great that you're just making it monotone. And uh, we don't want that. No, I think this, this tournament, just at the end of the day, this tournament is a perfect example of how um, something that at face value looked like Bryson DeChambeau, the talk going into this week was how much will DeChambeau win by because of his long hitting, you know, theatrics. And, and that wasn't the case. It, it didn't prevail this week. Um, and, and it just, it goes to show that there's so much more than distance that, that, that plays into this game. And I want to get into that with just kind of, you know, the, the eventual winner, Martin Laird, how he scrambled down the stretch um, in this, in this tournament was just incredible. He had a, a fried egg to lie. I don't know if you ever got a chance to see this replay, oh, the fried egg that. bunker shot that he ended up somehow miraculously, if not, you know, by a godsend holing out in the front nine of his round. And that was the, you know, that, that was just kind of a tale of things to come for scrambling for Martin Laird. That, that shot was absolutely incredible to see on replay. Yeah. Cause I mean, wasn't he, wasn't his uh, left foot, like, wasn't he on his knee or something? He had I mean, left, right. 
he had left foot out of the sand. It wasn't yep. on the knee, but it was on a foot and right foot kind of just like, I don't know, dug into the lip. And then this ball, you could barely see the logo on the ball. This thing was so deep into the lip of the bunker and he freaking holds it. Yeah. Popped it out. Cause they talked about it like, Ooh, this is going to be difficult. And they were just, the announcers are basically saying it's a hope for him to just get it out of the sand and on the green. That's all his main goal was. And then it just hopped up, rolled a little bit and then went in the hole. And then everybody was just kind of in disbelief. So, I mean, I think they did a really good job of it when they called it in the moment they said, had, you know, do you think it's destiny? Um, It obviously was. I think when you look back at it now, I think it obviously was because you look at what happened down the stretch too. He went into 17, a par three. It's fairly simple. I think most of the guys were hitting eight irons. He fans an eight iron right. This eight iron goes so far right. It hits the cart path and goes about another 40, 40 yards. And he's only got this window about the size of like a cart path into the green. He bumps and runs this thing up through this little window below the trees. It ends up like 20 feet away from the pin and he sinks it for par. You know, I mean, he's just making these up and downs, like just absolutely next level. And then he dodges bullets in the playoff from Matthew Wolf, who's just an absolute bomber. That's just, he, he dodges bullets from this kid who seems like when he gets himself in a position to win, he always makes the putts. This kid's missing putts. Austin Kuss missing putts. And then all of a sudden he's got a, he's got a birdie putt on the same hole, the 17th hole that he fanned one right no longer than like an hour ago. And he buries it. I mean, just what an absolute scenario, a series of events that took place from when you looked, when you looked at 17 after he fanned that shot, it looked like he had no hope in hell to win this golf tournament. And then you go three straight playoff holes and end up taking it home. I mean, that's why we call it golf, right? That's why we call it golf. It's uh, it, it just, it just goes to, I mean, I think it just builds to the, the amazing story of, of Martin Laird and his career. It's the first time he's won in over seven years. I mean, an absolute journeyman in the game. He was the only Scottish player to be on tour until 2015 when Russell Knox came out on tour. So like, it's, it's one of those things where he's just been around for so long and knows the lay of the land as far as how tournaments go like this. It's actually really funny to kind of see him win this tournament in Vegas, because this is one of the other, um, you know, four spots that he's won before. He's only won at four different spots, Vegas being one of them. Um, and obviously his first win in seven freaking years. So crazy to just see him battle it out and be this gutsy uh, for his his first win in his last seven years. I mean, these guys, that's, that's awesome too. And it's, it's also impressive because how can, I mean, granted you didn't win, but usually kind of when you go on that hiatus of not winning mm-hmm. you know you tend to fall off the map a little bit or off the radar i mean it just shows that this this guy was due soon after being on tour for so many years and just constantly keeping his card so i mean i mean what's that what's that say about the consistency level of the guy's playing ability well i mean how cool was it too i don't know if you caught this as the uh as the round was wrapping up after laird sank that putt they showed this awesome little graphic of what the winner of the Shriners gets. And he, they get exemptions in the PGA Tour guaranteed through 2023. They get a master's invite, a PGA invite, and an open championship invite. And they get, like I guess, expedited to regional or sectional qualifying in the, US, in the USGA for the US Open. So, I mean, wow. you talk about exemptions, and obviously they get invited back to the Shriners, um, you know, for years and years to come. So... I mean, you talk about a life-changing moment for a guy that's been on the cusp and just grinding and grinding and grinding. He just secured himself for three more years on the PGA Tour. Yeah, and that's the, and we've said this before because that says a lot and how much weight that will lift off your shoulders of just the fact that you know you have X amount of tournaments that are you're already locked into play and some big-ass tournaments too. I mean, what, you said two, three majors? Three majors, yep. Three majors right there. So, I mean, that's huge too. And I mean, you look at it from a point of he's 37 years old right now. So you lock yourself in for another three years 
And I mean, you're taking yourself out to 40 and we all know this game of golf. Some guys can play through their mid 40s. Some guys can't. But if Martin Laird is able to piece together another three year stretch and win maybe even one more time in the next three years and get that other three year exemption, you're talking you're set for life at that point because he's going to retire in his mid 40s or go to the senior tour maybe a change of pace. I don't know. I don't know his plans, uh, but I can only imagine that if he wins at least one more time in his professional career, he's set for life. Yeah. And I, I think we've discussed it too before golf's about longevity. So, I mean, if it, if I was in his shoes, I would try to find a way in hopes to get myself in using those ex- exemptions to an advantage in hopes to possibly do well in a couple other tournaments and maybe get, exemption invites to others and then it kind of snowball effects from there and then if i can get a win on now i'm just kind of adding on to places i can already play and get invites to and then you know continue to play in my career because i mean i know these guys want to constantly win they're all competitors and they know that this is a game that they can play up into you know old age i mean i mean it's a game of longevity that's what it is it absolutely is but i'll tell you what someone who's just hot streaking right now and i i would bet in the short term on the next seven tournaments and a high favorite going into augusta mr matthew wolf this kid is on fire he was 28 under over the weekend he, he threw some bogeys in there or i'm sorry he was 14 under in his last 27 holes so, I mean, when you talk about a guy who can just throw together a ton of birdies, 61-66 on the weekend at the Shriners. Yeah, the kid can play. But you're saying you think he's a master's favorite? Because it seems like the way he swings, I'm not knocking on his swing or anything. It's just it's one ball flight. It's just cuts. See, he's playing a draw. When I was watching, he was playing a high really? draw. I, th- I think the kid's got it all, man. I think he's uh, actually got way more ball striking, um, I guess, knowledge. I think he's got way more IQ than he lets off. When you hear him speak, you think he's just kind of this dumb frat boy college kid. But I think he's got way more IQ when it comes to working his golf ball than the entire golf world really realizes yet. Yeah, I but I think he's on. I when I think he's on, I think he's on is when he hits screens and regulation because when he gets in spots, his chipping's the worst out of his game in my mm-hmm. opinion. Because if he can't, because we all know his swing is a little once he starts to hitch, right? The little hitch that's kind of his go-to yep. move. It's not necessarily when you see him in bump, greenside bunkers or around the greens trying to chip, and his chipping and he's said it before is the worst part of his game. So if he's on with his irons, like. Mm-hmm like you say he is and how well he he can strike the ball and he gets him on in regulation yeah he's he's a threat but if he's missing greens sorry he's he ain't winning well i uh you know just a little fun fact here uh, a masters rookie has not won since 1979 um so it would be very interesting to see his placement as it's his first time walking around the grounds of augusta this year um jordan spieth has the second ever highest finish by a master's rookie when he finished second runner up in 2014. Um, So, you know, obviously Matt Wolf walking around Augusta for the first time this fall. Um, It'll be interesting to see how he fares out, but I I just, I'm going to say this right now, even if he doesn't win, you're going to, you're going to see Wolf up there in the top five contending for a master's green jacket come Sunday. Okay. Is that the, is that the not too early, way too early pick of the of the week? <laughs> I'm not picking that. That's for sure. I love it. That's it's uh it's something where I'm gonna stand on that, and it may be a little crazy. It may be a little not. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, but another guy who is actually trending, I think, way in the right direction, and and might become a low key Masters pick is Tyrrell Hatton. Um, Tyrrell Hatton got a a win, another win, um, the BMW PGA Championship. Um, on the European side of the ball. It's his fifth career European tour title. Um, and he made kind of more news, I guess, than not for bumping Mr. Brooks Kepka out of the, uh, the top 10 spot in the world golf rankings. So, I mean, let's be honest. Kepka's a little banged up. Kepka hasn't been the healthiest, so he hasn't been playing much. So personally, to me, this doesn't mean 
much to me at all, other than Tiro Hatton's playing really good golf right now. And I think other than that, I don't think it's a slight against Brooks Kepka. I just think it's a, hey, Tyrrell's on a Tyrrell's on a little bit of a streak right now. Yeah, he's I like his game. I mean, his I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've noticed, his game is just pretty much dead straight. I mean, I, it's just kind of just you don't tune in to watch this guy ooh and ah you to death. No, this is he, one of those guys where you like you, you joke around like, oh man, the golf broadcast could put me to sleep. It's so boring. Yeah, that, that's Terrell Hatton's game. He's not he's not flamboyant. He's not flashy. He's just dead on. Yeah, I mean he he's hilarious though, but you have to catch him because he's so kind of he just goes, he's focused, he's playing his game, and then if you see some of the videos and they catch him on the mic, he's very witty. He's just like that dry sense of humor, and he, but he the kid can play something about these englishmen and, and their sense of humor it, it reminds me Tyrrell hatton and eddie pepperell when they go back and forth on twitter if you if you guys ever catch their twitter exchanges they are some of the best uh kind of just dry humor uh just relentless humor at times when those guys go back and forth um and it's just something where you know you just got to catch it because like you said, it just happens. And if you're paying attention at the right moments, even on the broadcast, you can catch them saying something funny between the caddies. Um, these guys are an absolute pleasure to watch it yeah. and they definitely can crack some jokes. I mean, I was just watching the one video of him and he, <laughs> I guess the one he flirted way right. And he just looked at his cat and he goes, he goes, that's so bad. He goes, that is so bad. You ever see a, a golf shot worse than that? And his caddy just looked at him and said, no. And then they just continued on. And I said, this is great. And then I guess another one, he flared right and hit um, uh, a fan. And he's like, he's like, I, I apologize. I it's like, didn't mean that. He goes, uh, she goes, no, nah, it's okay. I was, uh, I was expecting that today. And he kind of just kind of took a double take thinking, wait, what? what do you mean you were expecting that? And he kind of, she was like, Oh no, like where I'm standing, I was expecting probably a possibly get hit by a golf ball. He's like, Oh, he's like, yeah, I thought, I thought you were talking about talking about me. And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, it's just like, you know, he's just, he's fun to watch. I mean, it can be kind of just straight edge, like you said, and just kind of like point A to point B, nothing really too flashy, but the guy, he can, he can get it done. Well, I mean, you talk about nothing too flashy, but something he wore down the stretch and oh. obviously hoisting the freaking trophy made some headlines. Tyrrell Hatton, dare if, crazy. dare if we say, Tyrrell Hatton wore a hoodie. Oh, my goodness. I mean, listen, when it comes to golf fashion, it's it's kind of making a new new wave. Uh, you know, these guys are kind of being more athletic. They're bringing the more athletic and comfort out onto the onto the scenes and onto the course, which is making kind of some of the old school mentality a little frustrated. And then, then you got the younger uh, crowd or the new school. They're like, who cares? I mean, listen, my opinion on it, I, I really could care less what you're wearing. I mean, but in my opinion, if a, like a baggy little hoods like around my neck, I think that would mentally get in my head. When I'm going to be, I'm going to be a hundred percent honest with you. Like, you know, you and I talk about all the time, the, the Muni mentality playing on Muni's dude, I've played in t-shirts and shorts before I've played with guys that showed up in t-shirts, shorts, and like basketball shoes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like high tops. I don't I give it. a shit what you wear. The hoodie looks a little different, but where I was kind of deferring from it, where was, you know, obviously he was wearing a sporty hoodie. He was wearing a hoodie specifically designed to play golf in where I was kind of like chiming in our, ourselves in, I guess, uh, on the golf Twitter, you know, conversation about this whole hoodie is like, I love the hoodie he was wearing. I think it looks great. I think it fits well. Um, I would not wear a hoodie that has like the front pouch in it. I feel like that would just get so, in the way. So a hooded sweatshirt, you would say. Yeah. So like, like a, a hooded sweatshirt. Boop. Big, bulky, like something you get, you know, like from a football team or something. Like if I'm, you know, going to tailgate and I wear like a football hoodie or something, it's got the pouch that I just, you know, if it's cold, I throw my hands in the front of it. I I can't golf with a front pouch, but the one he was wearing designed by Adidas and shout out to Adidas because I used to work for Adidas for a couple of years. They, they absolutely murdered the design. They killed it. It was absolutely phenomenal. I'd wear that. I'd wear that hoodie 10 times out of 10. 
but it's just it's just something where it's like the discussion of okay yeah that hoodie i love it but not all hoodies like i don't know dare dare i say all hoodie lives matter i guess i guess if one hoodie goes all hoodie goes right i don't know man i hey you want to put a hood on when you play <laughs> golf go go for it you see me out there i'm not i'm not wearing a hood so yeah. i mean I don't know. To each their own. I love it. If you want to wear a hoodie, wear a hoodie. This whole the the, the old man conversation. Some of the some of the people were just relentless. Of oh, it's killing the game. The you know, um, I even saw one freaking uh, guy who I think just got absolutely like shunned from Twitter. Was like it's it's starting to make golf look thuggish. And and that set off some serious uh, some August. serious red why don't, red flags. Why don't we talk about all the. Uh the winter beanies that some of these guys put on their head. If oh, I'm, dude, it, it was hilarious how, how low some people were stooping just because just of a freaking up. hoodie. Um, so yeah, dude, I, I honestly loved it. I love the style he was wearing. The fact that like, I feel like he caught on to it early that people didn't like it because he took some pictures with the trophy, with his hood up and around and around his hat. So I feel like even some locals who might've been chirping him on the, uh, award ceremony, like, Oh, why is that guy wearing a hoodie? I feel like, uh, and, and like, and this goes back to the old Englishman's, uh, you know, sly sense of humor. He, I feel like he threw that hood up just to, uh, kind of you know stick it to him one last time yeah absolutely yeah that's pretty funny yeah so now i loved it it's cool to see him having success uh in the european tour i I hope he continues to have success as he transitions into some of these uh the majors obviously augusta being the last one of the year i hope we see him there and i hope we see him in maybe another tournament or two as we round out the year because i think he'll have some say in the top of the leaderboard no doubt man he'll he'll be He'll be contention. Absolutely. Yeah, on the road. Absolutely. So guys, if you can, if you want to follow along with us, whether it's a podcast announcement, whether we're just sharing our love for the game on Instagram or Twitter, guys, you can follow us at enjoy the walk pod and www.enjoythewalkpod.com. You can check out our latest merch drops and guys, you can sign up for the single strap society. If you guys have not heard about the single strap society, go to at enjoy the walk pod and check out our latest post where we describe how you guys can become society members, the packaging you'll get guys that includes logo cups, a Winston tour towel stickers, a digital copy. If you sign up for the digital uh, membership where you guys can get the strap book, which is an exclusive walkers only journal to you from us. So guys go check that out. Single strap society, www.enjoythewalkpod.com. Dante. We had the KPGM Women's PGA in Philadelphia at Aronimic. Um, There was a lot of good golf being played this past weekend. Unfortunately, we had one of my favorites uh, withdrawal, right? I think three or four holes in uh, Nellie Corda, who I thought was going to be a favorite to win. She experienced some back injuries, so unfortunately did not finish the weekend. But we saw some some good play from – from kind of the, the usual suspects in B Park, found her way no, near the top. Anna Norquist, the, the Swede, Brooke Henderson, who seems to always compete lately. Jennifer Cupcho, the uh, the the ANWA Masters, the, the first women's masters tournament that uh, that she won. She competed. Uh, Brittany Lincecum, Gabby Lopez. Uh, who was right there beside Jennifer Cupcho down the stretch at that AWNA uh, competing at the masters competed. So that's, that's a lot of big names in the top 10 uh, for the LPGA, but it was say young Kim who ended up taking it home, actually winning by five. Um, so it was, it was pretty neat to see. She saw a final round 63 at Aronimic. That's absolutely balling with, cause this course, course is, is tough. Tough. I mean, the, like we said it before, the undulation on that course is unreal. I mean, you are hitting. There are some holes you were. It's like a. It's like fifty feet above you. Some of these pictures were absolutely hilarious. Um, obviously, with no fans, you know, it just some of these holes seem larger than life because there were no fans down the sides, and all you see is just a sign saying KPG, KPMG, PGA and like a group of four. And when you see that group of four, 
you realize, holy shit, that's how the members play it. You know, like, holy shit, that, that, this is what the members see on a daily basis because there's no fans. The course looks raw. It looks good. And then there's just four people in the tee box and they're caddies. You know, it just, it, it, the course with the photography that was going on this week, it made it look larger than life. And I think it just, it does nothing but respect, like you said, the undulation and just the overall golf course architecture that's out there at Aronimic in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, I'd love to take my test of my golf skills to that course one day. It'd be nice. For sure. And now I, I want to get your opinion on this because obviously the PGA championship and the U S open on the men's side of the ball. See, I think very similar setups lately where they, they have really thick rough and they play a very, very challenging, um, you know, course setup, I think. And now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the KPMG women's PGA is trending in that direction too. After 36 holes, there were only 13 ladies under par going into the weekend. It's set up very similar to how any USGA US Open would play. And I think that's a, uh, a, a tip of the cap maybe to, to maybe the USGA setup and how much success they're having in fans watching. Uh, but then I think it's a tip of the cap to also just the LPGA in general saying, you know what, we're going to make this course tough. These ladies are going to work to get this championship from us. I mean, isn't that how it should be? I mean, these are, these are major championships, right? These are your championships. I mean, the rest of the, the, I'm not knocking on all the other, on all the other tournaments throughout the tour, but that, that help those tournaments, you know, it helps you win to help you get into these major championships Uh and they help you get points to seclude yourself into the, um, your, your playoffs like that's what like the regular season throughout the beat you play in these events in order to get into these major events so they should be set up completely different to then just like the every other week round that or tournament that you're playing so again i agree with you kudos to them for making these setups a lot tougher than you know what you normally see on a week-to-week basis during the pga and the lpga yeah toughen it up grow the rough make it make it um make the greens firm make them roll in 13s 14s make them make them think make them you know put their skills to the test i mean why why should it be a shooting gallery out there i mean granted again entertainment wise we we love to see that on a viewership but if i'm sitting there playing for you know this high level and an elite trophy and and status and this it's one of the four or five majors that you know are out there mm-hmm. you know as a as a venue or as you know on the tour i'm going to basically i'm putting these people to the test because they do this all year round like that's what they work towards so why not put them to the test absolutely and i think when you go to an esteemed uh, venue like Aronimic too. I think it does the course justice when you set it up tough because that's what the course is there to do. It's there to challenge these players. And if you set up a course too easy that has the history of being a very tough course like Aronimic, you're not doing the course justice. You're not doing the membership justice. You're not doing the grounds crew justice. If you set it up too easy when everyone knows the course has teeth, you just got to let it bite. Uh-huh. So I think, it, I think it was great to see um, coming down the stretch on Sunday. We saw some Sunday red. Um, Say Young Kim actually wore red pants instead of the red top that Tiger usually dons on the men's side, you know, to dominate for all these years. Um, Say Young Kim, when asked about it, says, well, of course, it was influenced by the Tiger Woods era. Um, you know, she came onto the scene kind of when she was 15 years old um, back in, I believe, what was it? 2003. So the height of, uh, you know, the Tiger Woods era. Um, so really cool to see that kind of inspire her choice for the red pants down the stretch. And she obviously played like it closing in 63. Um, so yeah, the, the, the Young Kim man, uh, absolute stunner down the stretch at Aronimic. really cool to see her pick up that trophy. I mean, they don't call it Sunday red for a reason. I'm, I'm a big believer in, there's Sunday red for a very select few. You know what I'm saying? Tigers earned the right to wear that Sunday red wherever, whenever, but when people pull it out 
there's got to be some action behind that Sunday red. And yeah, she to, just she exemplified the reason she's allowed to wear that Sunday red. Yeah, you have to earn your right to wear your Sunday red. I mean, I, I think it's a staple. Obviously, it's a it, it stems from Tiger, but it's a staple for throughout the tours. It's Sunday, and you are a contender, and you know you are a winner. You know, a Sunday red is a, is a good go to move. I mean, it by this time in 2020, if you pull out red any other day than Sunday, it is what it is. But when you pull it out on Sunday in 2020, you mean business. Everyone knows damn well that's Tiger Red. You ain't that's... you ain't pulling it out saying it's Dante Red. And I'm not pulling it out saying it's Dalton Red. Everyone knows that's Tiger Red, baby. So oh, I love man. the conf- I love the confidence by saying Kim, and I love that the fact that she just executed in the highest of regards. Um, so, guys, just to kind of I guess I guess foreshadow, uh, we've got a little bit more from the KPMG Women's PGA um, up our sleeve. So stay tuned. We'll have a contestant who played her way into and participated in the event this past week at Aronimic on the show up and coming here um, within the next few shows. So stay tuned as we announce who that is and when we'll have her on, but really excited to dive into the behind the scenes of the LPGA and everything that was involved with the uh, KPMG women's PGA out there. All right, Dante, let's talk. Let's talk. Yeah. We're just going to edit that out. Yeah. All right, Dante, let's talk golf in general, common man golf, right? We have seen a resurgence and this is just kind of something I think we've, we've, we've talked about a few weeks in the past as you and I have been out in golfing and seen more and more play. Um, but we, we've now gotten the facts. We've now gotten um, a, a large amount of cities reporting their influx in municipal golf play. Um, city-owned golf courses are reporting record um, record plays, not just within this year, but record record rounds being sold within the past 20 years. I mean, we're talking over two decades um, records being broken of of people flocking to municipally owned golf courses and publicly owned golf courses to play, unlike ever before. Um, and, and it begs the question: Is golf dying, or is golf thriving? I would say golf has been thriving, but golf is also, I would say it's almost a new beginning in a way. Uh, As much as COVID has destroyed a lot of um, people's lives and families and economically, I mean, there's always positives that come out of negatives. And one thing that you have to say is that COVID brought golf into a lot of people's lives Mm -hmm. i mean that was one of the very few things that you were able to do during these times that where everything was shut down um golf courses most golf courses remained opened or they opened not too long after that i guess you can say that entire month where the world was just completely shut down (laughs) uh it it brought golf it brought new eyes to golf um, and, and, and like, cause people were just flat out bored and, you know, we're not meant to be cooped up inside all day. Um, just pounding at, uh, Netflix after Netflix episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, or just like handheld video. I mean, you know, you, we're not meant to be inside constantly all day. Uh, so people had to find something to do, something to do active. So they, so like, where can I, where can I go where I could be like socially distance, uh, still hang out with people, be outside, get exercise, get fresh air. What more to do it than go to a golf course? Oh, and- for sure. It's just really cool to see it happening on a public level. Um, I think, I think old golf is dying. And, and that's why I asked you if it's dying or is it thriving? Because I think, and you said it too, you kind of foreshadowed the point I'm trying to make here. You said, you know, a new beginning. I think old golf is dying. And when I say that, I think the old, old money, exclusive money. private, um, you know, only you can play here because you have this status or this, that, or the other, that style of golf is dying. 
what is thriving is like like you were and I were kind of mentioning public golf, muni golf, golf that can be accessed by everybody. And that is an exciting time in the golf industry because that's the market they've missed out on over the past 50 years. Golf has had this hoity-toity, posh, nose up in the air mentality for a lot of people. And, and, and I feel like that's been the biggest barrier for the game is like, well, I can't play golf because, you know, there's so many excuses. Well, I can't play golf because, and, and like Happy Gilmore said, well, you go to wear funky pants and have a fat ass to play golf. Right. <laughs> and, and no, <laughs> no, you don't, you know, you can go out, you can, you can, wear a t-shirt and some raggedy pants and, and play, or you can, you can join your best buddies and just go out and play nine. You don't have to play 18. There's so many ways in which I think the game is opening up for the masses. Dude, I am so excited to see the next decade and see how this game grows. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree as well. And like you were saying, it, it's, it almost, what I'm trying to say here is it's almost saying that, you know, like you say, the old money, the big, the big money and, you know, the old school mentality of like when golf, I guess you could say when golf was commercialized in the United States, mm -hmm. because correct me if I'm wrong, where it originated, those who played it were blue collar workers. They were, you know, they were sun up, sundown workers. I mean, you know, a lot, it ha wasn't it on like sheep farms and stuff? Oh, hundred percent. Right. It was on sheep farms. So these guys are just like nitty gritty hands in their dirt. You know, they're, they're just constantly working hard workers. Then it comes over to the United States and then they pick it up as if it's some type of, uh, you know, white collar esque as, as they say, it's like, you know, you know, you have to be rich in order to play this, but in reality, they let's, let's go back to the roots of where it came from. You know, this, this is a game that it's a, that we're, I, I mean, grinder like the word <laughs> grinder i mean it's someone who's just out there just constantly grinding day in and day out to just like putting everything that they have into it to get better or they're they're in the in their actual workforce job where they're just grinding day in and day out to get that paycheck to put food and stuff on the table i mean it, it's a it's a, it's a game for grinders man it's it's those but when it got commercialized and it got changed to this you know, if you're not, you know, you don't have a fancy last name or you don't drive a fancy car, like you're not welcome. Like, no, like we, that, yeah, that is dying. And that, <laughs> like, that's gotta like kind of go at the same time because it, it, golf's fun, man. I mean, and like, you're scaring away people from playing golf because of that factor. Well, I tell you where I think we're finally meshing the two, the grinder mentality and the hoity-toityness, the poshness of the game. We're finally, I think, perfectly blending the two. And it's coming to us next week at the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek. Uh, we're finally seeing live betting hit the masses, hit the telecast. And the bet MGM is joining up with the PGA Tour and allowing you to see live betting info. So not just like, okay, who's going to shoot a 66 today? No, what's the odds they're going to make birdie here? And even better, what's the odds he's going to hit the fairway? What's the odds he's going to hit the green? What's the odds he makes birdie on the next par five? You know, we're starting to get some serious degenerate value out of a PGA Tour uh, telecast. And you want to talk about grinder. There's going to be some guys absolutely grinding over these shot-for-shot -shot bets coming next week at the CJ Cup. Oh, and it'll definitely make the viewership a lot more exciting. I mean, if you're going to have the percentages on screen of their chances of making a 15 footer on a certain green at, at a certain course, you know, you can bet on that. My friend already does it. He, he live bets uh, hole by hole on certain players. And it kind of reminds me back to some of the bowling days and where it, I guess we were all there after it was like the championship round or whatever. There's like through a few teams and we were just sitting there on the back and my buddy um, John goes, dollar he doesn't strike it's like bet threw down a dollar and we just there was just like maybe 15 of us just in circles just like kind of just betting on that or like yo i bet uh say i don't know player a is gonna strike on on this frame or whatnot 
sure i'll throw in on that and i mean that's the same thing that you're going to do for golf so it's going to be it's going to be very interesting i feel like it's going to i wonder if it's going to change the players mentality of their games too because if you think it on the nfl level you know those guys are all it's all about fantasy football right what so i don't want players... to see happen what i don't want to see happen and you just you just like flashback like ptsd nightmares of like what could possibly happen in the game of golf and it's guys just completely playing for that fantasy value and not for the value of the actual game itself so i think i don't think it can happen as easily like these guys aren't going to hit a fairway and get like an entire nation like 30 fantasy points you know what i'm saying it's going to yeah, be so I different think it- I think it's, it's too much. There's too much going on with golf for that to even happen because like football, I mean, it's just straight up. Like if you're a running back, you know exactly what type of points you need to get when it comes to golf. There's just too many factors that come into play. And let's be honest. And let's be honest. At the end of the day, the tour pro is not going to give a shit. if, If you just made $85 off of him missing a fairway, he really wants to hit that fairway. So I don't think he's going to miss fairways on purpose and they're surely not gonna you know as they're walking down the fairway on hole two say boy if i don't hit the next one i'm out 85 you know it doesn't directly affect them missing or hitting it just affects them on the leaderboard now that you're saying that it's not going to happen because think about it they're playing for themselves they don't have a team that's actually playing the game that day around them well let me let me read this off to you Martin Laird took home $1,260,000. Austin Cook, second place, $623,000. You think a $20 bet on if they miss or hit the fairway is really going to matter to them for the money they're playing for? I I, I don't think so. They're probably not even going to know. There's no chance. That there's a that so-called bet is on the only way it low-key penetrates into some fraud is if the caddies are live betting during the round oh my for their complaint for their playing competitors imagine that you know you say it's a twosome the caddies are betting against each play oh my gosh that could uh that can get crazy that can get some like pete rose shit down the road i was just gonna say i la pete rose that could get dirty real quick (laughs) yeah I don't know, but it'll be exciting to see, and I'll definitely make a viewership a lot of fun on the viewers' aspect. So. I'm excited to see it. I, I'm excited to see how the format takes place, how they integrate it with the telecast. Um, you and I have been saying the telecast is lacking something. Um, is it this? I'm not 100% sure, but it can't, I don't think, at least not be exciting. I think it'll add some spice to an otherwise boring podcast for the masses. Um, you know, degenerate golf fans like you and I will watch golf no matter what, um, but you know, looking forward to that. Who's your, who's your overall bet? Do you think taking home the CJ cup? There's a lot of big names. There's Dustin Johnson, Matt Wolf, Xander Shoffley, Justin Thomas, Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, Terrell Hatton's making the trip. He just won in uh, in the European tour. We were talking about that. You've got some heavy hitters, Tony Finau, Patrick Cantley, Sergio fresh off a win two weeks ago. I mean, you've got some really, really good players in this week at the tour and all those names i just named is not even one of the guys i'm going with they're playing are they shadow creek they're playing shadow creek yes sir didn't uh why is that why is that ring a bell shadow uh the match that's what i thought phil and tiger the match uh when when phil beat tiger in that kind of wedge off because they couldn't yeah. figure out a way to a way to beat uh, beat each other in the in the grand scheme of things, yeah. So it's it's at Shadow Creek. It's gonna be sh- it's gonna be Shadow Creek's first official um, event since it opened in 1990. Um, so wow. excited to see them actually host an event. Um, it's gonna be fun to watch. Uh, Dustin Johnson has the course record there actually at 66. So low key maybe make him a favorite. You never know. Um, but yeah, going into it, man, I just, I got to pick one of these guys that's been knocking down the door. Um, Will Zalatoris, we forgot to mention his name, uh, when he finished top five at the Shriners last week, he's that guy that's number one in the corn Ferry tour rankings, but he just can't seem to completely lock up a tour card yet. 
he keeps playing his way into the week next week and into the next week and into the next week. Well, he finished 19 under last week, T5. Um, he beat out Bryson DeChambeau. He beat out Patrick Cantley. He beat out Webb Simpson. Um, he's a guy who I think is going to knock down the door sooner or later. But a guy who I really, truly think is going to knock down the door this week at the CJ Cup, Peter Malnati. I think he's okay. got to take it home. Yeah. Mm, I really I I don't know. My picks are terrible. I I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe I'll let everybody know after day one. That's not an option, Dante. You, that's not how this goes. You gotta uh you gotta pick on the spot. You gotta absolutely spot. pick somebody to take home, ride or die, who you got. Can I pick two? No, absolutely not. I'm throwing darts. You go with Harry Higgs. Harry Higgs. He's absolute been... absolute banger of a pick. Um, <laughs> the, the, the people's man, Harry Higgs. I love that. Uh, guys, let us know your picks. Let us know who you're riding with this week out at the CJ Cup. It should be fun to watch. Another Vegas venue, so the ball's going to be flying. Um, this course is a lot longer than the course we just watched. Uh, this course can stretch all the way up to 7,500 yards. Um, so... Excited to see these guys play out there again this week. Shadow Creek's going to put on a show. This course is like otherworldly. I remember it from the match when Tiger and Phil played. It looks like something that's just like in the middle of a desert, and all of a sudden they just dropped turf and waterfalls and made it a, an exquisite venue. So I'm excited to see uh, who goes on and wins this week out at the CJ Cup. I'm excited to see the live betting formats and how that looks and how it takes shape. Um yeah, that's it from us, guys. Uh, at Enjoy the Walk Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. We'll be following along with the CJ Cup all weekend long. So we'll be live tweeting. So follow along for that. Like I said, www.enjoythewalkpod.com to find our latest merch and to sign up for the Single Strap Society. If you guys want to know more information on that, just DM us on Instagram. And uh, yeah, guys, get out there. It's fall here in the Eastern region. It's October. Your course is prime. Get out there, carry your clubs. Tag us and enjoy the walk. That's the stuff. One shot at a time.